This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. It's a show about the most interesting people and stories of Mississippi. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. Well... April is National Autism Awareness Month, so today we're taking a closer look at the Autism Center of North Mississippi with Executive Director Melinda Tidwell and Clinical Director Sheila Williamson. But before we welcome our guests, Michelle and I are going to catch up with the weekly roundup. Michelle, happy Monday. I hope you are having an awesome day. It's beautiful weather outside, nice and cool and crisp. Definitely doesn't feel like late April. It just feels more like, oh, I don't know, maybe early March. It's just great out there today. It does feel good. It's kind of chilly. Last night was kind of chilly, but uh, it, it's nice. Um, they said we're going to have a cold snap. Some places may experience ice and frost north of Mississippi. That's kind of late in April, but, you know, you never know in Mississippi. Well, exactly. I mean, it could be 115 next week, but right. I will say this. I was on my morning therapy walk, and it was chilly, but I noticed all the blackberries were in bloom so I guess this is Blackberry winter officially. So anyway, but uh, yeah, absolutely gorgeous. You get a chance today during lunch, go out, take a walk, go out, eat your lunch outside. It just feels really great out there. The sun feels good. Man, I tell you what, I hadn't talked to you in a while. It's good to good to be able to sit and visit with you a little bit. We've got a great show today. I'm excited about that, too. Right. I am Autism uh, National Autism Awareness Month is this month. And so, of course, this is a great topic to talk about, uh, to find out what autism is if people aren't aware of what it is and how to notice it in your own families and um, what you can do to help um, find a cure if there is one. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, little fun fact, I guess. It's uh, the very first person in the world ever diagnosed with autism lives here in Mississippi. Uh, Don Triplett, he's, I think, 88 years old, lives in Forest, Mississippi, uh, has lived a spectacular and wonderful life and truly an example of how a community can wrap its arms around someone with autism and really make them part of the community. Don, Don's just incredible. And if you've ever got a chance to meet him, um, he has lived a very full and wonderful life as well. But I, I tell you, hats off to Forrest also. Uh, an amazing town. I've got a lot of friends over there, but I really um, – their, their love of him and their protectiveness of him is just a wonderful model. I recently had a chance to interview the producers for the new documentary. It's out it's based on a Pulitzer finalist book called In a Different Key. It's about autism. And, of course, they featured Don in that documentary. And it was very, very touching to see that. So I'm really excited about today's show and about today's guest. That was interesting. How was that interview? How was it to talk with him? Or talk to those uh, I doctors. Did, I, I, talk yeah, to those I didn't doctors. get to talk to him. I talked to the, the producers of the movie who also, one of them is um, Karen Zucker, and she is a longtime producer for ABC News, and her son has autism. And her quest is, of course, to be able for him to transition from living with her because he's in his low 20s, and he lives in a home, I think, out in Arizona now to learn how to live on his own and be independent. And so her, she got very fascinated, obviously, when her son had autism with the subject and has been doing many, many segments on it for many years for ABC News. 
And the other was John Donovan, who was ABC's White House correspondent. And you would recognize him immediately if you saw him. He's been with ABC News and several other networks as well. And so they've teamed up to do this documentary. And so I interviewed them. And it was really fascinating just just hearing some of the numbers and some of the research. And we're going to hear some of that today with our guests. You know, you think about one out of 59 people are now diagnosed on the spectrum. And when people talk about the autism spectrum, and we'll get into all this in just a second, but it's really, really wide. So you have, if you have autism, you can have a whole variety of different symptoms and, and have different levels of being able to process the world in a different way. And, and it's, and it's a fascinating it's a fascinating topic. I think this is going to be a great show, but I think it's going to be a very informative show, too, because I think we as a society need to figure out a better way to be able to help fold people with autism into society and to help them be able to function. So, like I said, this is not only going to be a good show, but I think it's going to be an important one as well. Well, another aspect to that is the families, the parents, the caretakers, the guardians. Amen. I, I see them on a daily basis uh, dealing with things that um, someone else may not have to deal with. Parenting is challenging as it is <laughs> enough um, to add that to it. I mean, you have to be a special person, a lot of patience, a lot of kindness, and a lot of tolerance, and a lot of education. And that's what I can't wait for our guests to talk about, how they incorporate a lot of classes and seminars and education to help parents, a lot of resources, because some parents it is too much for sometimes. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, like I say, if there is a, a high degree of impairment, it can be really overwhelming. But I tell you what, when you're a parent and your child starts showing some of the signs of autism, maybe at nine months or a little bit later, as it can go up to 24 months. But when you start seeing some of the signs, you don't know what to do. And usually your first encounter is with your, your pediatrician. And, and so, um, I, I, like I said, I think our guests, this is going to be a very informative show, but it's going to really help parents, but it's going to help a lot of other folks too. And I think it's going to be great. Uh, a lot of things going on today, obviously, just in the news. And I don't know if you saw this or not, but NASA flew a helicopter on Mars. Um, you talk about, I mean, just seriously, you just sit back for a second and think about that. They flew a helicopter on Mars. I mean, I struggled to get my pants on today, and they flew a helicopter on Mars. I just thought that was absolutely amazing. It is amazing, and I can't wait to see what else they can do on Mars. I wonder <laughs> why they chose that particular um, planet. I wonder. Well, I mean, number one, it's it's the closest planet with us that has an atmosphere and yeah it's very similar and of course you know for years it's been such a big part of our you know our culture whether it's with the you know the 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 invasion movies that have out on you know all the martians little green men so it's always been kind of a fascination for us as as a society to check it out but you know we landed in 1976 with viking one and that was the first time we put a probe on mars and it kind of took away some of the mystery but now they can actually get farther away from the rover and be able to check things out but um you got to give one got to give one to nasa on that one that was pretty incredible to be able to do that all right. Well, uh, tell us what's been going on with you recently. Well, you know, I just had a little uh, spinal fusion surgery a few weeks ago, and so that's where I've been. Um, needless to say, it is a very um, – it's a tough surgery, but it is one that has really paid off for me. I'm now doing much better, and I can now stand taller. In fact, I'm an inch taller thanks to the surgery, but I'm also a lot healthier and can walk better. But it was uh, it was tough. I, I, I've struggled a little bit for the last few weeks with my energy levels and with some pain, but 
I am doing much, much better, and all the problems that caused me to have to have the surgery have been taken care of. So that's been a real win. But, yes, uh, you probably wouldn't have wanted to hear me on the radio for a couple of weeks. I was a little bit a little bit out of it. But, anyway, I'm back, and I'm much stronger, and it's, it's good to hear your voice again and just be able to talk live with you and, and to be, be here on air with everybody. Yeah, that's great. We're we're glad you uh, came back to us and you're um, I'm okay. Glad I'm still here. Right. What was going through your mind? That's what I wanted to know. As you are getting prepped and, and put together and getting ready for surgery. Well, I mean, I'll tell you a little bit of experience. I mean, I had have had this issue be, really over the last year. I ran a marathon two years ago, so I'm been really strong and in good shape. But when the pandemic hit, I did a lot of sitting because of my job and and it caused some, some issues with my discs and everything and had a piece break off and everything. So I finally started, I was losing control of my legs. They were getting numb. And so I, need, I knew I needed to do this. So I go in to the hospital in the morning, like you always have to do. You can't eat, you're hungry, you're grumpy because it's really early, no caffeine. And I'm sitting there and the nurse who took care of me was the same exact nurse that was prepping me that prepped me for my cancer surgery, which was exactly 20 years ago on the 17th. So a couple days ago was my 20th anniversary of my melanoma diagnosis. And actually today, I guess, would be the the actual 20th anniversary of the surgery. So, But it was funny because she looked at you and said, oh, you're back. I was like, you remember me after 20 years? She said, oh, how, how could I forget? So, but it was one of those things that my priest came in. He talked to, to me a little bit, and I was at peace. I, I went into it with a very positive attitude. I said, my surgeon's going to have a very good day, and we're going we're gonna to get this taken care of, and it's going to come out for the better. And, um, you know, I woke up, I guess, six hours later, and I was uh, a different person. So it was it was a challenge. The first couple of days were tough, but they had me up and walking. And every day I get up and I walk at least three miles a day just to make sure that I'm doing my therapy to, to get better and to get stronger. But, yeah, I, I honestly, um, you know, I mean, I'm usually at peace when I go into go into surgeries. But uh, I had a wonderful nurse in recovery named Glenda. I'll give her a big shout out. And she she sat with me because they couldn't find a room for me. So it took me six hours to be able to finally get out of recovery. And uh, she sat there and kept me entertained. And so I ordered her a coffee mug that has a drawing that I did of a medical worker as a superhero on it and uh, sent that to her just to say thank you because of her kindness. So I had a lot of good people looking after me. I've had a lot of great friends that have uh, done everything from getting us a meal when we needed it. And I want to give a quick shout out to my wife, Amy, who is uh, busy with her work and her job and our boys and then having to take care of me. Uh, you know, you talk about for better or worse. There was definitely for some worse moments there, and she did just an excellent job. I've, I've always joked that maybe she's not the most patient person in the world because she has to live with me, but uh, she was absolutely a rock star, and I couldn't have made it without her. Were you a good patient? That's what I want to know. How, yeah, were, how were you I as was. a patient? No, I was, no, I was a very good patient because – um, I'm not about to be a jerk right after I've had my back broken and screwed back together because I'm very vulnerable. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Misery with Kathy yes, Bates. Of course. Yeah, well, I didn't want Amy doing that to my leg uh, <laughs> for me being a jerk. There was, oh. only one, there was only one time, and it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and I – for some, you know, I don't know if it was just, I had a hard time getting it. I couldn't sleep. I didn't sleep for like nine days. 
And so I was really, really, really struggling. And I would sleep for like 20 minutes in the recliner, right? But I couldn't get out of the recliner. So I had to call her to come help me get up out of the chair if I needed to use the restroom. I know too much information. But <laughs> that said, it was just the sheer fact that here I am, you know, strong and everything else. And I'm having to depend on my poor wife to drag me out of the chair. And she started getting mad at me. You know, there was just something that I said like that. We started sniping at each other, but I think that was the only time that we had any issues. And that was at two in the morning. And I think both of us can be forgiven on that one. But now I'm, I believe it or not, when I'm vulnerable like that, I am a good boy. I do everything I'm supposed to do and I'm a pleasant person to be around. Well, I'm so glad everything worked out and you're back on this side exactly and we can have this wonderful show we're gonna uh, of course go to our commercial break and bring back our wonderful guest to talk about autism and everything autism and what you can learn something today if you have a question we want you to of course give us a call call. our guests Mm -hmm. are waiting for questions that you have about autism or about their facility or anything that you like to ask they are waiting for your questions that's exactly right. So we're going to come back and we're going to talk with Executive Director Melinda Tidwell and Clinical Director Sheila Williamson of the Autism Center of North Mississippi. So stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, editor-at-large at Mississippi Today. Well, April is National Autism Awareness Month, so today we're talking with the Autism Center of North Mississippi. So let's welcome the show Executive Director Melinda Tidwell and Clinical Director Sheila Williamson. Thank y'all both for joining us today. Uh, I tell you what, before we delve into autism itself, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves and your role with the Autism Center of North Mississippi? And I think, Melinda, we'll just go ahead and start with you. Okay. Um, Well, thank you for having us here today. This is really awesome that you guys are recognizing April as Autism Awareness and Acceptance Month, and we appreciate you doing that. I have only been with the Autism Center now for about three and a half months. I came here in January. I had been with the United Way of North Mississippi for a little over 29 years prior to that, so a lot of nonprofit experience, but um, Autism Center and this kind of direct service is new to me, so I've had a lot to learn, and thankfully, uh, Dr. Williamson has been very kind and gracious in helping me uh, feel my way through this, and so, um, yeah, I'm I'm here. I'm excited. We're going to be doing a lot of new fundraising and things going on in the next uh, few months, but um, I'll let Dr. Williamson tell you about her. Oh, sure. Okay, Dr. Williamson, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, but how did you get into this field in the first place? What drew you to it? Um, I actually got into the field accidentally, sort of, in college, so I've been in the field now um, since the mid-80s, and at the college I went to in New Jersey, had an autism program, and if you were a psychology major, you had to uh, work there or at a daycare. I have six brothers and sisters, 
of the daycare wasn't very appealing to me, so I thought <laughs> I would try the autism school, and um, it was life-changing. I wound up working there until I graduated and kind of knowing that was what I was supposed to do. You know, looking back on it, I was just trying to think about what it's like. It's like the knowledge about autism has changed so much in that amount of time. Tell us, what was it like back in the mid-'80s? Uh, I mean, because there weren't as many, obviously, many kids as diagnosed on the spectrum. The spectrum was different. I mean, tell us a little bit. How, how, has it, how have things changed since you've been in it? Um, things have changed a lot. Like you mentioned, the whole um, understanding of the concept of autism disorder and um, the potential there and differentiating it from other mental disorders or intellectual disorders and finding the right supports. Um, it was a very small program um, that was part of Rutgers University. So in the whole northern part of New Jersey, which is densely populated, we served um, 30 children back then. Um, and oh, wow. so um, it's, yeah, it's changed. And our, and our knowledge about how to serve them and where to meet them and, and how to use um, the science of applied behavior analysis and psychology to um, help them reach their potential is just, um, I've enjoyed watching the growth and the change over the years and I'm learning something new every day. You know, New Jersey to Mississippi, that isn't a normal uh, transition. How did you end up here in Mississippi? I was going to come to the University of Mississippi for five to six years to get my PhD in clinical psychology. Um, and when I finished, um, there was a need in the state. Um, New Jersey has larger access to resources. And I stayed and I've had the opportunity to be um, in schools and in a private practice clinic and in residential settings in Mississippi. And I know the heart of people is to serve the knowledge of just how I wasn't there. You've joined the Autism Center of North Mississippi, like I said, in, as clinic director in 2019. How have things mm -hmm. changed in just those two short years? Um, well, one of the things um, when I met with the staff here, they wanted to grow their abilities and grow their services. They were serving children about three to eight years of age then. We served birth to 21. Um, we had three board certified behavior analysts and we have eight now. Um, and we, we have several specialized programming based on age and need and um, making that look really naturalistic. I think the biggest change is we served um, 24 clients with 12 staff and now we serve about 130 clients a week with 44 staff. That's incredible. What, what, I mean, so when you say you serve 136 clients, are they all over the spectrum? And we'll talk about the spectrum in a few minutes, but so it's, it's a different variety. Uh, everybody's kind of got their own mm -hmm. challenges, right? It is. It's very diverse. Um, that, yeah. like you said, since the 80s to now, that's been the big change is, one, how our diagnostic tools are so much better. Um, we can die. I have a friend in Atlanta who diagnoses only two and under. That is her specialty area. Oh, wow. To get those children young and to get them services. Um, and then um, just the breadth of the spectrum, knowing that um, those persons at the higher end of the spectrum um, need support, but maybe not as much. And that's why we serve 130 clients. Some of our clients get 20 hours a week of therapy. Some of our clients get one hour a week or 
or every other week. It's very much based on their needs. And, and I can say from knowing from parents that have autistic children, they I know that the parents are probably as appreciative as anybody on the planet that y'all are there for them too. Yeah, we, we have a great parent base here. I'm just always amazed at how hard the parents work for the children and for us as a nonprofit. Um, it's fabulous. Well, let's just go ahead and start. I guess this would be a good place to start with this definition. What is autism? That, um, I'll take that one, Melinda, if you're okay with that. Yeah, you go ahead. You go ahead, Jim. But that, you know, we have our formal um, diagnostic criteria in the mm -hmm. diagnostic manual that psychologists use. Um, more and more, as I've done it, one of the best definitions I like is that it's a social communication and so social navigation disorder. Um, it's very much a skills-based disorder, and that's why I love the focus here on positive skill building. Um, yeah. We are not, um, you know, we don't focus on compliance training or any of that. We say what skill is preventing you from being able to communicate with us or being able to socially engage with uh, us? And how can we use the tools of our science to teach that skill um, that improves the quality of your life and improves the quality of your family's life? Um, so that, you know, and then usually with the definition of autism, you see um, sensory or repetitive behaviors or areas of interest included. And, um, you know, we kind of meet the child where they're at and try to find out about their interest and what they're interested in and then grow them out. So it is, it's interesting. We are an applied behavior analysis clinic, but we are very much person-centered and motivation-centered. Um, and that's, that's been one of the big changes. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating, too, because I think now with the spectrum being as wide as it is that, I mean, that's so important to see where a child is on the spectrum so that you can make sure that you can help them get the, the, the services that they need. And, you know, I mean, because when you talk about severe versus mild, tell us, just kind of give mm -hmm. us an example of what a severe case might be or what a mild case might be. So, um, and, and in the diagnostic manual, there's levels, it's level one to three. Um, I liked it when that change was made a few years ago as a psychologist, because it said to me, um, as I work with the child and the family, I'm supposed to move them across the levels, like up the levels. So child at level three would be what most people consider most severely impaired. Although I've learned through the years, you just don't know what a child knows just because they're not verbal or vocal. Um, we have some really kids that would be level three, and if you ever watch them on an iPad, they completely know what they're doing, and they know how to spell, and they know how to talk. So um, we try not to make those assumptions, but level three would be children without their language yet or limited ways to communicate. Um, some of that stereotypical behavior or repetitive behavior might be interfering with interaction. Um, it is to come, and we work on other ways so they can enjoy the interaction that they want to enjoy, and they don't appear to be socially engaged. I've yet to find a person on the spectrum who really didn't like social. They just don't understand it because they don't have their words yet, a lot of them. And then to answer your question, mild would be somebody who might have a lot of language, but they might be very literal in what they understand or not understand unspoken expectations. 
Um, we have one program that, that really focuses on that for kids that are school age. You know, when your teacher says it's getting loud in here, what is she asking you to do? And that's kind of reducing your volume to like um, a lower level. And so teaching that, um, you know, those skills so that by situation they're able to be successful. Because part of the reason persons with autism have told me they're not, they don't engage in a lot of socials, they're not very successful at it. So we really work on increasing their success um, at it. You know, I know a very, very wonderful young man who's incredibly brilliant, who's on the spectrum, and and and, and we just love him to death. But you know, I'll tell him, I'll make a joke or something, which I tend to do, and he'll look at me and you go, "That's sarcasm, isn't it?" And I just, yeah. I just smile. So, well, number one, he recognized it was sarcasm. I thought that was pretty amazing. But he just look at me and go, "You're being sarcastic, aren't you?" You know. So, it, it, it is right. pretty amazing. Let me ask you the question. I think a lot of people, this is obviously debated on social media or whatever, and you see it on the Internet, but what causes autism? Um, so that's, that again, you see it debated everywhere. And yeah. having done this for over 35 years, I don't think we know all the causes. More and more we're seeing a stronger genetic link especially in families and their studies that are being done there. Um, I think it, it's more of kind of a genetic predisposition. And then there might be some sort of stressor, environmental stressor or environmental insult mm -hmm. that leads to that. And I've just seen so many different um, manifestations of autism that it's hard to say that it comes from one place. You know, um, like I said, and this may be too simplistic an answer, we kind of look at the child that we have in front of us because yeah. that's where we need to start, regardless of how we got there. I am about to say, if you were going to give me a definitive answer, I had a Nobel Prize sitting right here I was going to hand yeah, to you. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> yeah. So. I figured on that. But that, that said, I mean, you, you hear all these sometimes very far out things, but at the end of the day, I think what you just said is what I how I generally understood it, too, that there are, you know, genetic risk factors and there could be some things in the environment that cause it as well. How common is it? Because, I mean, you hear some of the numbers now, and it's it seems like it's, the numbers are getting – more and more every, it seems like every year. Um, I, the last I've heard is one in um, 58-ish, 59. Like you said, the numbers change every year. I think our diagnosis is getting better and we're getting yeah. better at catching it earlier and seeing kids who we before didn't call children on the spectrum. <laughs> Great. I tell you what, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to continue this conversation. And when we return, we're going to continue talking with Melinda Tidwell and Sheila Williamson with, with the Autism Center of North Mississippi. If you have a comment for the show or questions for our guests, feel free to give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email me at marshall at mpbonline.org. Stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking. 
Join us as we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever the issue, let's try to figure it out together. You can listen live Tuesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. All right, welcome back. This is now you're talking on MPB Think Radio. Very, very happy to have a couple of great guests today. Of course, April is National Autism Month, and we want to welcome from the Autism Center of North Mississippi Executive Director Melinda Tidwell and Clinical Director Sheila Williamson. But before we get back into the conversation, we have Nikki from Iuka on the line. Hey, Nikki, welcome to the show. What's your question for our guests? Hi, my name is Nikki, and I'm from Iuka, Mississippi, so I'm in North Mississippi. Um, I have a son. He is four. He was diagnosed with level 2 or moderate autism um, about 18 months ago. And right now, of course, with me being in Iuka, it's kind of a service desert in our area. You know, we are having to seek out private services, um, you know, for, for him. That includes um, occupational therapy, speech therapy, and then, of course, behavioral therapy. And I was just wondering, is there, are there any plans for, like, expanding into communities where maybe somebody could not, you know, um, they can't have services unless they're, you know, unless they're, you know, they're privately paid for. And that's my question, just because I know so many people in my community in Iuka and in Corinth that their children aren't receiving services until they get into maybe a daycare or they are um, picked up by the local school district in their SPED department. All right. Thank you, Nikki. Well, um, actually, we are currently getting ready to open a satellite um, facility in the Oxford area, and we'll be looking, if this goes well, if this is successful, then we'll be looking at doing this in some other communities. Um, I've heard Dr. Williamson say many times that, you know, Mississippi is a rural state, and so Sometimes you got to take the services to where the people are and make it easier for them to access. And so that's that's what we're trying to do is is um, expand those services into these other communities. And that's amazing because when I when my son was diagnosed, you know, I called uh, North Mississippi and we were number four hundred and eighty five on the list for services. And so we are in a desert, and like you said, underserved. And so it's you know it's very encouraging to hear that there are plans you know for. Um, other, other satellite um, centers to open up. Yes, it is. It is unfortunate that we do have um, over 450 children still on our waiting list. Um, we just we just have to find ways to increase our capacity, which means we have to find you know qualified employees. We have to find more space, and we have to find more funding. And we are constantly working at those three things because we we know how important it is to these children and to their families for us to provide these services. And so 
We're doing yes. everything we can as quickly as we can. Oh, yes, and that's services. the one thing is I always see the fundraising services, and it's absolutely wonderful. And you're right about the education, especially, like, with the applied behavior. And, it, you know, now it's just kind of, you know, it's recently been accepted by insurance, you know, within the last few years. But thank you so much for everything that you do, and it's so encouraging to hear that, you know, there are plans on the table. As you said, Mississippi is underserved, and thank you for everything that you do for our children. Thank you. Nikki, thank you for a wonderful call. And if you'd like to call as well, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. We got Liz from Tupelo. Liz, thank you for calling. What's your question for our guest? Hey, I was talking to somebody recently about they suspected their adult daughter might have autism. And I was wondering what was out there, if there was something for adults to get tested. Because I know males and females show signs differently at a young age. So I, I know the females often get like like overlooked for it. And I was wondering what adults could do if they wanted to get tested. Great question. Thank you, Liz. So in Mississippi, um, we do have some providers that will do that testing for adults. Um, it, it is harder to access sometimes. Our diagnostic tools that we use, though, that are not just rating scales, um, do have adult modules that are very helpful in making that discrimination. And Liz, you are correct, because the symptoms tend to be sometimes more subtle in higher functioning girls, they go a longer time without being diagnosed or they're looked at kind of through an anxiety or social anxiety window um, and go a little bit longer. Um, so that is um, a hard question. Um, there are a few adult providers and there are a couple providers in Memphis that do that testing. Um, right offhand, um, it, it's going to be hard to say, but that, that is a hard service sometimes to access. Um, so I would, I would call some of the private adult providers uh, who do assessments. Assessments in our state are an issue overall diagnostics. Um, for both children on the autism spectrum and with other disorders. Um, so that's one of the things, hopefully, that's one area that we're focused on growing, hopefully, in the next few years, too. Okay, thank you very much. Great call. Thank you. We have Earl in Union. Hello, Earl. What's your question for our guest? For having me. I, uh, I had a lot of trouble in, like, elementary to 11th, major to 11th grade in school. And uh, during that time, my mother tried to get me help for the learning disability. And the guy in 1975 said it was like a type of retardation. I didn't believe that. And, and time went on. I went back to a, get psychological help for this. And the, the psychiatrist said about the same thing. It's a brain delay from my brain to my mouth and from my ears to my brain. I wonder if there is there milder types of retardation or autism. That is, that's the question. A lot of times that the what is now called level one autism spectrum, which used to be called level, I mean, which used to be called Asperger syndrome, um, it does manifest differently. And that's when we talk about the change in numbers and change in diagnoses, that's one of the changes that's happened is that persons who were labeled intellectually disabled, but they had more of an unevenness in their skills. So their visuals, their ability to see things like designs and draw and put things together. The skill set that I don't have at all um, was really high, whereas their, their ability to verbally get information out, and as we learn more and more, we know that that's because of a processing speed issue for persons on the autism spectrum, 
was lower. And then kind of taking that all together, sometimes you got people who tested when they were tested as intellectually disabled, but they really weren't. They had that scatter and ability. And that's kind of um, one of the things that's become more apparent. And again, I think why we're getting more people labeled as autism spectrum appropriately. Um, in the 80s, I worked in a residential facility um, with a psychiatrist, and I would often tell him, having come from New Jersey, that I thought somebody had autism versus intellectual disability. And we would go back and forth. We had a great relationship. And I saw him a few years ago, and he said, you know, I used to say this one and that one might have had an autism spectrum disorder. And we were all like, no, Sheila, you just say that because you came from that program. And now we realize you were right that we were so underdiagnosing or misdiagnosing. Okay. So yeah, that that is definitely a possibility. I mean, it's so strange. I I'm not I'm not really autism. It's caused me a lot of social anxiety communicating, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it's like I'd rather call it a delay of my brain instead of retard, because retard means delay. So, thank you for uh, answering my question. I appreciate it. Well, Earl, thank you You're so welcome. much for calling. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, let's talk real quickly about some of the programs that you offer because I want to want to hear what parents to hear some of the things that that that, that y'all do. Um, so one of the things we've tried to really do in the last two years is look at our programs and make them as naturalistic as possible. Like to what end? Our goal, especially with our waiting list, is not for you to stay at the autism center. It's to go and fly and do what you can do. So yeah. we have programs specific to, I wouldn't say certain levels, because again, we really don't look at that as much as the child's needs. We have two programs we call beginning uh, behavior analysis, beginning young, we call them baby rooms. And those are children zero to five that need some of that more intensive social rapport building, play building. And then we focus on their language because I don't know about you, I don't talk to people I don't like. So um, we really try to develop those relationships and that, that's been a little bit of a change um, from more classic applied behavior analysis. And then we have programs, two programs for, for like five and a half to nine year olds. One that is very language enriched, like I was talking about teaching you the subtle meaning. And then the other one really still for children are still working on getting their language or that we got later on. Um, we have one program for children with um, intense behavioral difficulties. And then we have one program for teenagers that focuses on social skills, social navigation, life balance. We're blessed. Um, some of this has changed with COVID, but we had a great system where we would walk them through exercising for part of it. And then going, we had a mock grocery store and then a social area, really teaching them all the components of a day and how to kind of have life balance in that. and, and and tolerating those things that I, I don't love as much and those things that I do love. So we're just, um, our board of directors has been great endorsing the growth of these programs that really kind of are listening to our clients and their parents about what's important. One of the other things we do across programs is a lot of safety training, um, yeah. just awareness. Um, and um, because that's one of the things that prevents parents from going out in public. I'm afraid they're gonna run away. I'm afraid they're gonna not come back when I, when I call them. And car seat, working on sitting in your car seat. Those are really important things that we need to be focusing on. 
All right. Well, it's time for our last break. And when we return, we're going to continue our conversation with Melinda Tidwell and Sheila Williamson from the Autism Center of North Mississippi. If you have a comment or question for the show, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email marshall at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. And this morning, we've had the pleasure of talking with Executive Director and Clinical Director of the Autism Center of North Mississippi, Melinda Tidwell and Sheila Williamson. If you have any questions or comments, well, you know, you can call at any time. And we've had some great calls today, 877-672-7464. I tell you, uh, you know, fundraising obviously is a big, big issue, obviously. And uh, I just wanted to throw that out there and say, what do y'all do to help make this all happen? What's, what are some of, some of the ways that you're able to keep the doors open and the lights open and so forth? Melinda, well, I know you're just, I know you kind of came into this. You, you've, you've got a background in this, so you're kind of a pro at it. So I kind of, kind of wondered what you, what y'all do to, to kind of help make the catch register keep, keep moving. Well, there's, there's several different things that go on throughout the year. And one thing that people can do to help us is to follow us on social media um, especially Facebook and Instagram, and we are Autism Center NMS, and you can see all of the different things going on. One of the one of our big things uh, that we're doing right now is we're selling T-shirts, uh, hashtag Go Blue Mississippi, which is about raising awareness and acceptance of the autism of autism, but it also supports the Autism Center, and so um, we would love for you to to go to our Facebook page and order T-shirts. We have an adopt a room program where businesses can adopt one of our treatment rooms and help us provide things that sometimes maybe we don't necessarily budget for, but we really need. Sometimes our rooms need iPads or writing toys or, you know, just different things to um, help the kids. And so businesses can adopt a a room for a thousand dollars and by providing a little bit of, um, volunteer assistance for us during the year and you can get more information about that from from me um at uh, by calling our center or, or shoot me an email you can go online and, and look at our website and find our email address um, we have different restaurants throughout the year 
that have special nights for us where we really promote getting families and others in the community to come out to the restaurant that night and support. And then we get a, a percentage of the proceeds. And so we would love to have more restaurants participating in that. So if you're a restaurant owner, we'd love to talk to you about that. Um, and if you're following us on Facebook and Instagram, then you know when those things are happening and you can come out and, and support us. Um, we also have a lot of employee groups who collect things like sensory toys and other supplies that we need. We use a lot of positive reinforcers. And a lot of times those are things like M&Ms and Skittles and small toys and fruit gummies and goldfish and those kind of things. It's really a, a, a huge part of our budget. So when employee groups can collect those things, it really, really helps us out. So if you're uh, employee group is in, interested in doing that. We would love to talk to you some more about that. And then, of course, we also have just some of the traditional things uh, like uh, our annual letter writing campaigns, and uh, we are pr- planning an event for later in the fall, something that we've done. We did uh, pre-COVID that we did not get to do last year that we're looking at um, a Halloween kind of fundraiser, an event. And so there'll be more information coming out about that on, on Facebook and Instagram. So um, biggest thing you can do for us right now is follow us and then participate in all of these different, these different things that we have going on. And I know obviously money is the ultimate thing. If somebody wants to make a donation, that'd be great. But I know there's also other, other specific needs and you kind of touched on some of them. What are, some of them, everything from, I know, like laptops would be nice. What are some other things that y'all would need? Uh, iPads is, is a huge thing. We have, um, you know, these days that's what really motivates kids. They really enjoy uh, being on those iPads, and they, we can use those as an enforcer, but we can reinforce but we can also use those educationally. So those are great. Um, things like pencils, Play-Doh, Legos, kinetic sand, building blocks, uh, board games. Um, Sheila, is there anything else that you can think of, um, those kind of things? Yeah, I think sometimes what happens, especially related to the budget, is Melinda as a clinical director who thinks about new programs in the middle of the year. Yeah. Um, so like this year, um, we did, we worked with some school districts and they told us it would be really important for kids to practice kindergarten skills they needed next year to be successful. So we've made a mock kindergarten setup. So things like that would be like kindergarten um, readiness things in there. So there we even needed, you know, some help with some, some furniture and things like that. Um, you know, just like I said, Melinda said, things that you don't kind of think about that we need. Um, we do try to work some of our getting kids motivated um, as they get a little bit older, um, remote control cars, um, just things that they can engage with others in. Back, a lot of back and forth games we really like. Um, anything that's going to kind of um, increase that level of engagement with others as with our, you know, we, we've had to pull back with that some with COVID, but are very um carefully and gingerly and with the precautions in place, moving back to that as much as we can because we've worked so hard on that. So, um, you know, a lot of times um, it's things like, like I said, stuff for that kindergarten room. We had to get that from scratch. So um, that's where the adoptive room program comes in. Um, very helpful too. 
I need to hook you all up with Hagen Walker, who is the CEO of Glow, a company in Starkville, Mississippi, and Anna Barker, who's their business development VP. They literally have just gotten licensed with Sesame um, Workshop for a toy, a light-up toy that is for bath time for autistic children. It's really kind of a neat story. I think y'all will get along great. So I'm going to I'm gonna touch yeah. base with you when we get off the air at some point and, and make sure that y'all meet, because I think they could probably help out too. i tell you what, 2021 is a big goal. We're starting to come out of the pandemic. Uh, the vaccines are out there. Obviously, the world is starting to open up a little bit. What are some of your goals for this coming year? Well, I think one of our, our first goals is to get our satellite office in Oxford up and going. You know, we have some employees that are ready uh, to be there. and We know we have parents and pediatricians and others that are ready for us to get it open. So that's one of our biggest um, goals. You know, we're also looking to uh, find some more space. We desperately need a bigger facility, and so we are we are working toward that because you know if we can grow our facility, we can grow the number of kids that we're able to serve. And so we are we're looking to do that. Program wise, um, Sheila, what what other kind of things are we looking at? Um, programmatically, we have found um, that there's a nice balance with applied behavior analysis and behaviorally oriented mental health providers. So we have a licensed professional counselor here who does a great job um, providing support. And we're looking to grow that side. So find some more mental health providers who are like-minded. And also, um, and that really helps support the parents and also look at increasing our diagnostic capability. So those are our two big clinical goals too. Well, I mean, obviously from just hearing of the wait list, the need is there. And I know y'all are doing a really good job trying to meet that and working really hard at it. And in the last few seconds of the show, is there any advice that you'd like to give for a parent of an autistic child? My biggest thing is to, there are going to be days, um, they, this is what I've heard from other parents, there are going to be days that there isn't hope and there's always hope. Make that connection. We're starting to open our parent groups back up, hopefully over the summer, and they're open to everybody. Um, so make that connection, get that support, reach out, um, and there is hope. Thank you so much. I appreciate both of you being on. We've come to the end of another great show. I want to thank joining us. I want to thank our guests from the Autism Center of North Mississippi, Executive Director Melinda Tidwell and Clinic Delight. Clinical Director Sheila Williamson for enlightening us today. And if you missed part of the show and like to hear it again, you can listen on our podcast at mpbonline.org. Now You're t- Talking is a production of MPB Think Radio. It's produced by Michelle McAdoo. Stay tuned. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Josie Bidwell is coming up next. Join us next week at 10 a.m. for more great conversations. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio.